Book three, chapter fourteen of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book three, chapter fourteen. Did I speak once angrily? All the drear days you lived, you woman I loved so well, who married the other. Blame or praise where was the use then time would tell and the end declare what man for you what woman for me was the choice of god through the dull days of november into the dreary midwinter malcolm forde lived in the little village of heatheridge and in his lonely walks every day and often twice a day beheld the walls that shut elizabeth from all the outer world christmas had come and gone a strangely quiet Christmas, and he had not yet seen Dr. Cameron's patient, though he had been favoured with several brief interviews with the doctor, who had cheered him lately with the intelligence that all was going well. There had been lately decided signs of improvement. The patient had been allowed to mingle a little with the sanest among her fellow patients, had assisted at their little weekly dance, though that modest festival had not appeared to make much impression upon her she had stared at the long lighted music-room and the people dancing in smartened morning dress and various coloured gloves wonderingly and had asked if it were a servant's ball but she had latterly been more amenable to reason the nurses complained less of her violence she had been taken for an airing in the grounds on fine days and would go out in the carriage as soon as the weather grew a little milder. Altogether the account was cheering, and Mr. Ford was fain to be satisfied, and to thank God for so much mercy in answer to his prayers. He was not quite idle even at Heatheridge, but had made friends with the incumbent of the little rustic church, and helped him with his duty, and made himself an awakening influence even in this narrow circle. He visited the poor, and catechised the children on Sunday afternoons, and very much lightened the burden of the perpetual curate of Heatheridge, who was an elderly man with chronic asthma. This work, and long hours of quiet study deep into the winter's night, made his life tolerable to him, made it easy to wait and watch and hope for the hour of Elizabeth's recovery. And when she would have recovered, what then? then she would go back to her husband and to her old worldly life most likely and grow weary of it again no he would not believe this he would hope that by god's blessing this dismal warning would not have been sent in vain that she would begin an entirely new life a life of unselfishness and good works a life brightened by faith and prayer a life which should be her apprenticeship to christianity her education for the world to come. This was what he hoped for. This was the end to which he looked forward, after that blessed day when she should stand before him in her right mind. This consummation seemed to be a little nearer by and by, when Dr. Cameron said that if Miss Luttrell would procure a line from Lord Paulyn, giving his consent to an interview with the patient, he, the doctor, would sanction such an interview in the course of the following week. "'Do you mean to say that it's necessary to obtain Lord Paulyn's consent before his afflicted wife can be allowed to see her own sister, her nearest surviving relative? 
asked Malcolm, with a touch of indignation. Oh, unquestionably, my dear sir, answered the doctor. Lord Paulyn placed this dear lady in my care, and I have no right to permit her to see anyone, even her nearest of kin, until I am certain of his approval. The bond between man and wife, my dear sir, as I need hardly suggest to a gentleman of your sacred calling, is above all other ties. Yes, and as interpreted by the common law of England, is sometimes a curious bondage, said Mr. Ford bitterly, separating a woman from all that was dear to her in the past, encompassing her life with a boundary which no one shall cross, let her suffer what she may, except her sufferings assume that special shape which the makers of the divorce law have taken into consideration. Thus a man may break his wife's heart, but must not break her bones in the presence of witnesses. Lord Paulyn has been a most devoted husband, I believe, said Dr. Cameron with a disapproving air. Oh, I have no reason to believe otherwise. Only it seems rather hard that your patient cannot see her sister without her husband's permission. It is taking no account of all her past life, and there may be some delay in obtaining this consent, unless you can give Miss Lutterell her brother-in-law's address. Lord Paulyn was in Rome when I last heard from him, replied Dr. Cameron, with an agreeable recollection of his lordship's communication, which had been merely an envelope enclosing a cheque. If it will save Miss Lutterell trouble, I shall be happy to write to him myself. Of course, such an appeal to his wishes is a mere point of ceremony, but one which I feel myself bound to observe. You are very good. Yes, if you will write, I am sure Miss Lutterell will be obliged to you. It was settled, therefore, that Dr. Cameron should apply for the required permission and Gertrude must await the answer to his letter, however tardily Lord Paulyn might reply. The week spoken of by the physician came and went, and he acknowledged that the patient was now well enough to see her sister, but there was no answer from Rome. The Viscount had gone elsewhither, perhaps, and the doctor's letter was following by the slow foreign stages. This delay seemed a hard thing to Malcolm Ford, almost harder to bear than the long period of doubt and fear when at each new visit to the physician he had dreaded to hear the patient pronounced incurable now when god had given her back to them for these first slow signs of improvement he accepted as the promise of speedy cure man interposed with his petty forms and ceremonies and said she shall languish alone the slow dawn of sense shall show her nothing but strange faces the first glimmer of awakening reason shall find her in loneliness and abandonment the first thought her mind shall shape shall be to think herself forgotten by all her little world put away from them like a leper to live or die as god pleases without their love or help it was in vain that he pleaded to Dr. Cameron. "'I would rather wait for the letter,' the kind-hearted physician said in his mild, gentlemanly-like way. "'A little delay will do no harm. The mind is certainly recovering its balance, 
and i hope great things from the return of mild weather i have given lady paulyn new apartments though small changes are sometimes beneficial and a piano the exciting tendency of music was a point to be avoided until now and i have changed her nurses poor thing she fancied the last were unkind the merest delusion as they were women of the highest character and peculiarly skilled in their avocation another week went by and there was still no communication from lord paulyn dr cameron had written again at mr ford's earnest request and gertrude had also written but there was no answer to either letter malcolm ford paced the lonely road outside the fences of heatheridge park for hours together in the dull february afternoons saw the firelight shining from the distant windows of the hall which looked a comfortable mansion as its many lattices shone out upon the wintry dusk a mansion in which one could fancy happy home-like scenes the patter of childish feet on polished oak staircases fresh young voices singing old ballads in the gloaming lovers snatching brief glimpses of paradise in shadowy corridors from the light touch of a little hand or the shy murmur of two rosy lips all sweet things that wait upon youth and hope and love instead of madmen's disjointed dreams and the tramping to and fro of weary feet that know not whither they would go he could only watch and wait and hope and pray pray that the return of reason might restore her to peace and a calmer loftier frame of mind than she had ever known yet for his own part he had never even hinted a wish to see her indeed he did hardly desire to see that too lovely face again most lovely to him even in its decay it would be enough for him to hear of her from gertrude enough for him to have secured her the consolation of a sister's companionship and by and by when she was restored to health and released from her captivity a captivity which should not last an hour longer than was necessary dr cameron assured him he could go back to his distant vineyard with his soul at peace in the meantime it was his duty to watch for her and care for her as a brother might have done end of book three chapter fourteen